Welcome to the Mercy Commons podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that the Word of God encourages you and that the Holy Spirit empowers you. Good morning, Mercy Commons. <laughs> My name is Patrick. If I haven't met you yet, it's good to meet you. Uh, I am one of the deacons here, and I have the privilege of continuing our series in Hebrews this morning. So as you can tell by, you know, the title behind me of the series, Better, this book's all about the supremacy of Jesus, okay? And we've heard over the past few weeks that he's, he's a better messenger than the angels with a better message of, of the gospel. He's a better human who is able to resist temptation and make a way for humanity to live in freedom from sin. And today we're going to be looking at Hebrews 3 and how Jesus is the better Moses. We're going to be covering kind of a, a whole chapter today. So we're going to break it into two chunks because it's kind of a lot. Um, so let's dive in to start with Hebrews 3, 1 through 6. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who is faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confession and our boasting and our hope. God, I pray that today your word would take root in our hearts, that we would look to you as the one who is better, who is above it all? Um, would you reveal in our hearts the places that we don't believe that? In your kindness, would you convict? In your gentleness, would you rush us towards, towards confession and repentance, God? Would you be with us now? Just to start off, guys, if I start losing my voice, it's because I sing really loud, and I just really got into it at worship. So, like, <laughs> great job, Jeremy, but also, here we go. <laughs> um, so looking at this first part of our passage this morning, we're going to take a look at three uh, different things of this, three different roles that are covered in this section. So Moses' role in God's house, Jesus' role in God's house, and then finally our role in God's house. Now we're going to start with the basics, like who is Moses? So if you've been in the church at all, you probably recognize Moses. Yeah, he's a pretty big deal in the Old Testament, but like we're in Hebrews, guys. What's he, what's he doing here? So let's give kind of a foundation. Moses is one of the heroes of the Jewish faith and the Christian faith. In the Old Testament, he is regarded as one of the most faithful and godly leader of God's people. He led Israel out of slavery in Egypt. He received the law from God for his people, also known as the Mosaic Covenant. Should, should signify it's pretty important with his names there. He spoke with God face to face. He's kind of a big deal, okay? And so if he's this big deal to the, to the Jewish people, why is, why is the author here bringing him up um, and talking about him and Jesus, like, they seem kind of far removed. But as we'll see later on in the book of Hebrews, the audience of this letter is, is experiencing persecution for following Jesus. And this isn't the kind of persecution that we typically think of. It's not one people group um, threatening the lives of another for following Jesus. No, this is more like pressure from their family and friends and their community for following Jesus, saying, what are you doing? This isn't the Judaism we've, we've lived in. This isn't the, the thing we've held on to for so long. What are you doing? Come back. 
You're, you're kind of stepping out of line here. Come back. We don't, we don't know about Jesus so much. We go to Moses, okay? Moses gave us the law. Moses led us out of slavery. We go to Moses. What are you doing? So they were being pressured to go back to living under this Mosaic covenant rather than living in the freedom of the new covenant in Christ. So the author doesn't, you know, have anything to say against Moses. You know, in fact, he tells us he's a faithful servant of the Lord. He's worthy of honor. He also understood how big of a deal it was to name drop Moses like this. And comparing Jesus and Moses would have been scandalous to the Jewish culture. You just didn't do that, okay? So he knows that this is a big deal, and that means we should, we should pay attention. He's showing that while Moses is great, Jesus is better. He's not putting Moses down. He's putting him in proper relation to who God is. Okay, he's not saying, forget Moses, he wasn't, a great, he wasn't a great guy. No, he's saying Moses was submitted to God, pointing to someone much better than him. And he knew that. Okay, Moses knew that. And so, if he's pointing to someone greater, we know that that's, that's who he was. What is his role in God's house, okay? So let's go back to the text. Verse 5 tells us, Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. So he's a servant and a prophet, a herald. He's bringing a message from God to his people. And he did this faithfully for years in the midst of extremely challenging circumstances, okay? We see in Moses' story, he does this in the midst of his shortcomings and insecurities, under the harsh rule of Pharaoh in Egypt, leading a nation through the desert for 40 years as they continually grumbled and disobeyed God. He served the Lord in a way that is deserving of honor, and in many ways, we see that his, his life kind of foreshadowed Christ's life on earth. But that's just that all he is, he's a, he's a foreshadow of his redemptive work, okay? The story of Moses is unfinished without the story of Jesus. And, and Israel kind of lost that along the way. So if it's unfinished without Jesus, what is, what is Jesus' role here, okay? We've got Moses, we kind of understand what he's doing. So what does Jesus have to do with comparing them, them together? Let's go back to the text. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. So when we're looking to say, okay, what, what is this, you know, who is, who is Jesus? What is his role? It's really helpful that God puts it in the text and tells us. Like, we should listen to him about who he says he is. It's a pretty helpful little, little key there. So we see here, he says he's, he's an apostle. Okay, he's sent from God to reveal his character. And this is actually the only place in Scripture where Jesus is called an apostle. Kind of not used to that, that phrase for him. The word means one who is sent. Jesus was sent from God to us. He had a message, and we're to pay attention to what he said, but we're also supposed to pay attention to who he is. He himself is the message of God, okay? It also says he's the high priest. This is, high priest is very like Mosaic covenant language, okay? So the people knew what that was. Oh, yeah, the high priest, he's the one who makes the way, makes uh, for us to, to talk to God, to make the sacrifices. And Hebrews is the only book in the Bible that calls Jesus our high priest. So as an apostle, he speaks to God or speaks to humanity on behalf of God, and as our high priest, he speaks to God on behalf of humanity. He's our mediator. He bridges the gap between us and God, and that's why we need to look to him. Okay, so he's, he's an apostle, he's the high priest, and here he's, he's different than Moses again. He's called a son. 
So if Moses was a servant, Jesus is a son in the house. He's worthy of praise and honor more than even Moses because while he was a faithful servant of the Lord, Jesus is the son in the father's house who chose to serve. That's different, okay? He's not just a servant. He's, a, he's the son. He didn't have to serve. He's the son who then chose to serve. He has a different relationship with God the Father than Moses did. There's an intimacy that Moses didn't, didn't know. And next we see that he's creator. So not only that, he, he, so he created Moses. He's the one who crafted Moses in his mother's womb. Why would we pay more glory to the created over the creator? And it seems like, oh, yeah, totally, I get that. But we actually struggle with that a lot in our culture. We get so easily caught up in the created things that we forget about the incredible value of the creator. I mean, like, take fireworks, for instance. Like, I love fireworks, guys. <laughs> they're, so, they're like, they like, they blow my mind, pun intended. And they're like, I'm like, this, they're like magic to me. But I'm like, who created fireworks? <laughs> like, no idea. I don't care. I'm looking at the fireworks. They're incredible. We have whole shows. We spend 20 minutes staring at fireworks. They're incredible. Who made those? We don't really pay attention to that. In a, uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm guilty of this a lot. Back in college, I was an art student, and I spent an entire semester studying and writing about a single piece of art as part of my capstone class called Contemporary Art and Theology. Okay, so you're looking at art, you're trying to th- see these themes. And the, che- the piece I chose was a site-specific, large-scale installation sculpture called Untitled. It's a very contemporary art move. Um, and it, as you'll see here, it was made entirely of styrofoam cups and hot glue. Thousands of cups. And I studied this piece for hours, months. I would, I would um, analyze its form, contemplate the possible meanings, look for the- theological undertones and cultural connections, consider the, the connections made in the materials, you know, the repetition, the organic form created from very inorganic matters. I knew this piece. Okay, really well. And then a year later, I was walking through the Museum of Fine Art in Boston, just kind of hanging out with my friends. We were there uh, for a couple days, and I walked into the contemporary wing, and it was standing there above me. And it, like, I like, literally, I'm like, I gasped. It's such an art nerd thing. I was like, what? Like, I never, I'd only seen it in photos. I never thought I would see it. It's such a site-specific thing. And I literally stood there for 30 minutes, staring at it, walking around, just like so awestruck by this incredible, incredible, beautiful creation. But I'll tell you this, if the artist was standing next to me at that moment, I would have no idea. I couldn't pick her. If she was in this room, I couldn't pick her out. I know her name is Tara Donovan. I know some of her works, but I don't know her. I don't really know much about her. It's so easy for me to focus on the incredible, beautiful things, the gifts of God, and I get so focused on that And I forget that he's the one who made it. He's the one who gave us these things. And this is the posture that we've adopted for centuries, okay? It's one the author of Hebrews is commenting on. Israel took the good things God created. They were given to them by God, the law, the honorable, incredible leadership of Moses. And they focused on that when they they missed the chance to have a relationship with the creator of all of those things. So when we look at this passage, we can see that Moses was a faithful servant in God's house and Jesus was the son in God's house, deserving of so much more glory. He was the creator, deserving more glory and honor than the creation. But really the most important difference between Moses and Jesus is that Moses was always an icon pointing to Jesus. 
He was a deliverer of the right now. He delivered Israel out of Egypt. It was incredible. But he was always pointing to, to Jesus, the deliverer for eternity. Moses was temporary, guys. He's not here anymore. He's dead. He didn't come back. Jesus did. And while Moses and the Mosaic Covenant were needed in order to establish the people of God and keep them as a holy nation, Jesus came to fulfill the law and establish a new covenant and a new people. Guys, without Jesus, we wouldn't be part of this. So as this people of God, what is now our role in God's house? Let's look at the scripture. And we are his house. If indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. Because we're his house. We're called to be part of his household, his family. And while Moses was a faithful servant in God's house, Jesus is the faithful son who chose to serve. And in doing that, he made a way for us to be welcomed in as well as sons and daughters. We have a seat at the table. And we get to faithfully serve the Father as, as, as his servants, okay? It's such an incredible gift of the new covenant that, that Israel was missing at the time. They were stuck in, no, we're, we're servants. We do this. We follow this law, this good law given by God. But there is more. There's a new covenant that brings freedom and life and relationship that they were missing. And the, the audience in this letter is feeling that pressure. This was new. Their families and their communities have been following the Mosaic Covenant for years. And for them to say, actually, Jesus, I think Jesus is better. That was really scary, okay? And we do the same thing, okay? So Israel, we look at, you know, we think that, okay, yes, God, we're given this gift of we are the servants and the sons. Yes, that's our identity. Let's do it. We don't do it very well. We look a lot more like Israel than we do like Moses. Um, we're not sure that we can actually handle the wilderness experience. Israel wanted to go back to Egypt, guys. They said, at least we knew what that was. What is this wilderness? What are we supposed to do? Why did you deliver us? How often do we do that? We say, God, I don't like this. What are you doing? You said, I, you, said you would be here. Prove it. We test him. We look a lot like Israel. And now we might not be you know, the risk, at the risk of falling back into more of an orthodox, traditional way of doing things. That's probably not our bent. But what it maybe looks like is, you know, for some of us might revert to legalism because it's comfortable. But more often than not, what this drifting looks like that, that the author is warning us about takes kind of two paths, either embracing cultural Christianity or adopting a Christianity that is formed by culture. So if we know that, that Israel wanted to go back to Egypt, and we saw that these, the members of this audience, of this letter, were, were being pressured to go back to the Old Covenant, what are the things that it looks like for us? What are we kind of drifting towards? Well, I think it might look like choosing the path of least resistance. Maybe my coworkers don't need to know I'm a Christian. After all, like calling myself a Christian might, might be a little too loaded. I feel that. I'm like, what are you doing this weekend? I'm going to church. I'm like, oh. Cool. <laughs> or, you know, maybe it's okay that I find greater connection with God and nature than with his people. And that's fine. We'll just kind of focus on that. Maybe it's good enough to go to church on Easter. And like when I'm serving or when I feel like it. It's the path of least resistance, guys. We're called to something better. 
It also looks like starting to blur the lines on some of the core like tenets of our faith. So maybe being an active member of the body of Christ is overrated. What good has the church done anyway? There's just been a lot of pain. Maybe actually you don't need to be a part of that. Maybe God doesn't really care what I do with my body or who I love. Like, he's a God of love. I'm sure he wants me to kind of do what I want. It's okay. Maybe truth is more subjective than the Bible would really make us think. You know, my therapist has some really good ideas about my truth, after all. Things start to get a little, little hazy. And finally, it turns into looking to things created by God, and we make them our deliverer. Good things like social justice, therapy, relationships, self-care, all good things given by God, but they get put on a throne where they shouldn't be. You'll kind of notice there's a progression here, okay? It's slow and deceptive at first. Well, the path of least resistance might kind of lead us to some blurring lines that eventually kind of reorder our affections. You guys, following Jesus is hard. Choosing to die to yourself and living a life of service and devotion to God, it's difficult, it's countercultural, it doesn't really look like it makes sense a lot of times. It's confusing and uncomfortable. And the author knows that. That's why he wrote it, guys. That's why he wrote this to us. It's not a thing to, to feel shame over. It's actually saying, no, actually, we have hope. God doesn't act like it should be easy. Because when someone tells me, oh, it's easy, just do it, I have a hard time. Whew. What am I supposed to do with that? You said it was easy. Where does that leave me? So if you know that the author wrote this to say, hey, hold fast, you got this, okay? How do we actually do this? So we're going to start, we're going to look at the next section of our, of our text today. Verses 7 through 14. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. On the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you an, an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. He's calling us to hold on to our confidence, okay? What do we, how? How do we do that? It's hard. <laughs> well, let's take a look. The first thing we do is we consecrate our hearts. The author tells us, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. I don't want God to say that about my heart. <laughs> and I know that I've gone astray in my heart. So what do we do with that, guys? What do we do? We know that our, our tendency is to harden our hearts. How do we counteract that? Israel time and time again chose to ignore the voice of the spirits, and their hearts were hardened. They chose to test God instead of trusting him. So how do we keep our hearts from going astray? 
is we consecrate them to the Lord. Okay, consecration isn't, isn't a word we use a ton in our kind of Christian tradition, but it's the act of dedicating yourself to the service and worship of God. We see it all, all through the Mosaic Covenant. Moses consecrated the people to the Lord. He dedicated them. These are for you, God. Do what you will. And in the same way the Mosaic Covenant required these animal sacrifices that were consecrated to God, in the New Covenant, we become living sacrifices. And our hearts are consecrated to him. We relinquish ownership. We're his. Which can kind of feel sort of scary, guys. We like control. But we can do this because we can trust him. And we can, tr- can trust him because he's holy, Okay. We can't just trust anyone. I can't just consecrate, give my heart to, to Al, because guess what? She's not holy, guys. She will sin against me. She will hurt me. I can't put my trust in Al. She's not where my full hope can lie. In her book, Holier Than Thou, Jackie Hill Perry has this to say about God's holiness. If God can't sin, then he can't sin against you. If he can't sin against you, shouldn't that make him the most trustworthy being there is? The God of the universe who is completely holy, just, faithful, and good is not only worthy of our praise and honor, but he can be trusted with our lives. So as you enter these seasons of wilderness and you're feeling weary, God understands. It's it's uncomfortable. It's painful. Don't harden your hearts. Don't shut out the voice of the Spirit. Trust the God who made you who knows your heart, who knows exactly what you're going through. Dedicate yourself to him. Consecrate yourself to him. God, I'm here. Do what you will. Your way is better. And as we consecrate our hearts, we trust him and we enter into community. Exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So this word exhortation, um, it comes from the Greek word parakaleo, which means to come alongside, encourage, comfort, strengthen by consolation. It's also the root verb of paraclete, which is used for our greatest comforter, the Holy Spirit. And so we're called to, to exhort one another. You know, come, come, come with me, come, come alongside, encourage, comfort, this isn't just a chipper like, oh, you got this. You can do it. It's not a big deal. You got it. No. It's actually like, it's a knowing and understanding. I'm here with you. I know this is hard. Let's do it together. Because Jesus is worth it. And we're called to do this every day. And like, for how long? For as long as it is called today. <laughs> it's like, when you have to ask it, like, hey, can you do this? Well, like, how long is it going to be? How long did I say it was going to be? As long as it is called today, okay? So today's today. What's tomorrow? When you get there, oh, guess what? It's today again. <laughs> Every day we're called to exhort one another. And honestly, that sounds, it sounds kind of nice. Like, think of like being daily encouraged and built up and strengthened. But what that also means is you have to do the work of being in community. You can't come alongside someone you don't know. It means it'll take more than just showing up on a Sunday morning. Get in a life group. Join a serve team. Let yourself be known by this community. Come alongside people, people who are probably different than you. Make an effort to exhort them. Don't just be looking, okay, I need someone to build me up. I need someone to build me up. Okay, great. 
it says, <laughs> Scripture's calling us to exhort one another, okay? And in doing that, it's, it's, a, it's a give and take. It's not just a receiving and it's not just a giving, but you don't know that if you're by yourself. So when you sit with people, remind them in the hard moments that they're not alone, that they have the household of God, the family of God alongside them, and the Son of God is ruling over this house. He can be trusted. Let me give you an example of practically what this looked like in my life this past week. Um, As most of you know, Al and I are foster parents, and we had the privilege of having a little man named Levi stay with us for about five months in our home before he uh, was reunified with his dad last year. And it was great, a great and wonderful and challenging experience, um, and one that Al and I have been passionate about for years. And since then, we haven't had another foster placement. It's been a year since Levi went home. And some of that was intentional. Levi went home in September. We had Colette in October. I'm like, okay, maybe we'll take a little break. That's okay. Um, There's wisdom there. (laughs) Um, And yet... Five months ago, we opened up for placements again, and still nothing, until we got a call this past Tuesday at 12.30 from a social worker saying, hey, we need a foster home for um, the six-year-old boy. I said, great, let me call my wife, called Al, called her back 15 minutes, said, hey, we're in. Yes, let's do it. And from that moment on, we started making plans. We canceled a bunch of plans. We called friends. They canceled plans to come help us set up the room. What do you need? What size clothes does he wear? Okay, we were doing it. We were in. We were excited and nervous, knowing it's about to flip our lives upside down, but knowing, God, this is what you called us to do. It's here. We're doing it. Let's go. At 4 o'clock, I was talking with the social worker, setting up a time to come pick him up, making sure I got his clothes sizes. And at 4.30, she called me back and um, told me there was another family on their way who was going to pick him up, and he wasn't going to come to our home. I was so confused. (laughs) Like, but we, we said yes three hours ago. You called us. God, we said, we said yes to this years ago. You called us to do this. Why is this happening? It's really confusing and it really hurts. We trained for this, guys. We spent time. Our friends canceled plans. I felt a little bit embarrassed. And so... We called Mitch and Michaela, who had canceled their plans that evening to, help, to bring us dinner and help set up his room. And he said, hey guys, your, your night's free again. Um, it's not happening. And they still showed up. They brought Chipotle. They didn't just drop it at our door. They came in, we had dinner together. They sat with us in our frustration, in our confusion, our hopelessness. They played magnetiles with <laughs> Kingston and Coco and reminded us that even in the hard moments, we can trust God with our lives. His plans are better than ours, even when we don't understand them. Even in the waiting. In this journey of following Jesus, we need each other. We need exhortation, Okay. This isn't just like, oh yeah, exhortation in the Bible, great. No, guys, we need it. We can't do this alone. We'll get too tired. Jesus isn't like, God God isn't ignorant of that. He's saying, hey, this is hard. I gave you a family. It's so much better in family. We need exhortation 
to move through the wilderness seasons. Band, you can come on up. And lastly, again, how do we hold on to our confidence and our hope? We go back to the very beginning of this passage, verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. Consider Jesus. Now, the word consider here is not being used like how we use it. We aren't considering Jesus like he's one of the options, like oh, we're not sure about it. No. Consider he means to focus in. Okay? Think seriously about, look at him, learn from him, fix your eyes on him. Consider Jesus, the most faithful son and servant. This isn't about working hard or white-knuckling it, okay, to make sure you're still in the house of God. That's kind of a lot of what the old covenant was. There was a lot of things to do. This, the author isn't telling us to, like, build your faith, figure it out, hold on to it in your own strength. He's saying, Look at the object of your faith. Look to the one who brought you into the household of God in the first place. The better Moses. The better high priest. The better apostle. The better deliverer. Our faith is in him and the finished work on the cross. So where do we go from here? Having a correct view of both Moses and Jesus equips us to live in the tension of being both servant and son. If I have a correct view of Moses, then I can embrace my role as a servant in the house of God. My life should mirror Christ and point others to him like Moses did. He said, God, I don't know what you're doing. You want me to go into this wilderness for 40 years? That seems really hard. Let's do it. It's still really hard, God. People are complaining. What do we do? We do it. God, we trust you that you're better. I will serve you faithfully. I will point others to you because this isn't about me or what I can do. It's about you and what you've done. And if I have a correct view of Christ, then I can embrace my role as a son in the house of God. I have a seat at the table, guys. It's not about working to get some crumbs. He says, come sit at the feast. Come, come be with me. Come dwell with me. Learn from me. Consider Jesus. And if we do that, our life will be marked by confidence and hope. It'll look different. It'll look different than our culture. It won't look like the path of least resistance. But it'll look like journeying with a family. Trusting God is who he says he is. He's worthy of your life and devotion. His way is better. Father God, this morning, I pray that you would do a work on our hearts. Reveal to us the areas that are hardened. Show us where we don't quite trust you. I thank you that you don't do this to bring shame and condemnation, but you convict to say, hey, I see it, and I'm not scared of it. I'm with you in it, and I have something better for you. God, would you help us in the wilderness fix our eyes on you? Keep us from our tendency of isolating in our pain. Draw us to your family, to the household of God. Keep our hearts soft. Help us consecrate them to you, God. Daily, we bend our knees and say, God, do what you will. I am yours. You're worth it. Your ways are better. 
Would you be with us? Would you remind us of who you are as we worship you, as we consecrate our hearts now? Hebrews speaks of Jesus being the author and perfecter of our faith. Speaks of Jesus being the high priest and apostle. Speaks of Jesus as being the sacrifice that brought us freedom. And as a response, what we do that churches have done for over 2,000 years is go to the table of remembrance. Because the two things that Patrick reminded us of is that we are prone to forget, much like the Israelites forgot. We are prone to grumble. And we harden our hearts through the deceitfulness of sin. The beautiful thing is that it's at the table where we get to take care of those things. Because it's at the table where we are reminded of what Jesus has done for us, which is complete. And it's at the table where we have the opportunity to say to God, if there is an area of my heart that has become hardened because of the deceitfulness of sin, won't you expose that to me? So I want to invite you, if you are a Christ follower, if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, to the table at the back and on the side, there's wine at the front table. If you do not know this Jesus, and you're wanting to experience a freedom, and you're wanting to be freed from the deceitfulness of sin, the Bible says, if you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, and that God raised him from the dead, and you confess with your mouth, you shall be saved. It's that simple. And if you choose to do that this morning, we would love to take communion together with you. But for the rest of us that are followers of Jesus, I want to invite you to go and grab the elements and then come back and we'll take it together. Church, we hold in our hands uh, the very things that Patrick Patrick helped us consider this morning, the broken body of Jesus Christ and his shed blood. On the day that he was betrayed, he took the bread, he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you, take and eat. This is the blood of a new covenant. This is for the penalty of your sins. Take and drink. And I just want us to just consider those two questions. Patrick said, considering is not like, well, I'll consider it. To consider it is to really think deeply about, God, am I, am I in a place of forgetting your goodness, your kindness, your faithfulness to me throughout generations? Or am I in a place where I'm hardening my heart to you, to community, because of the deceitfulness of sin?
as we respond, there's going to be people on my left to your right. One of the things that Patrick experienced was the presence of Jesus through other people. That's one of the gifts we have as a community of grace, a community of faith. One of the things that Patrick also reminded us of is that human beings are human, which means they will let us down. But in our humanness, we can lead you and walk alongside you as we focus your attention and your gaze on Jesus Christ. So if you want to receive prayer, I just want to invite you to do that. Thank you, Ben. Thank you, Patrick. Thank you, Mercy Commons, for being attentive and engaged. Uh, we continue our gathering as we go back and enjoy some friendship and fellowship. Um, if you've never done that before, I want to invite you. This is an opportunity to see and taste uh, of the temple of God. The rest of us will see you this evening at 5.30. Let's go out there and be the church. Thank you for listening to the Mercy Commons podcast. If you enjoyed today's content, please rate us and hit subscribe. And if you'd like to learn more about us, visit our website at mercycommons.church.